Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and exceedingly insightful individual, Porn Sack Pichette Shote, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. Also, be sure to check out their website, comicscene.org, for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Porn Sack Pichette Shoot. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing over there? Yeah, not bad, man. We're, we're hanging in here on this side of the pond. Um, it's, it's interesting times, that's for sure, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really, it really is. I don't know if you're able to actually... Are you in an area where it's easy to sort of leave your house and sort of walk around and still social distance, or is it uh, yeah, or are you, are you in a congested neighborhood? Yeah, it's fairly kind of sparse, so um, we're we're able to kind of get out into the countryside and things like that, and kind of have you know, you know, fair fair amount of social distancing, like you know, nice. thirty feet kind of thing. So it's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, what about yourself? Um, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, like the area of LA I'm in is a little bit more of a suburban neighborhood. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, vacant. I'm, uh, quarantining with my mother though. I brought her sort of into my place and, mm. uh, and she's very paranoid about getting it. So as a result, it's always a, um, negotiation to just leave the house. All of our, yeah. all of our food is delivered, but just even like going out for a walk for sanity, it, it's, it's always a little bit of a nego- negotiation. So. Oh man, it's so tough, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like one of the the worst situations to be in. Just kind of like cooped <laughs> up. Like my my mental health is kind of all over the shop at the moment. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it, but it's great to be able to speak to people like yourself about kind of something that is somewhat escapist. Obviously, um, our listeners right. know that you know this is, this is all about the apocalypse, and we're in a semi-apocalypse <laughs> right now. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a nice bit of escapism, somewhat. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. You know, it's, and I always find for these things, it's uh, the way I kind of get through it is just, you know, I have my projects I need to work on. And I think it really just is that like, I just work one project at a a time and just try to get things done. Um, Because if I start have to take a look back and think any bigger than that, it's just like, ah, who knows what I have to do or what there is to do or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Um, it's it's really tough, but uh, all of that aside, um, thank you so much for coming on Comments for the Apocalypse Day. It's an absolute pleasure. And for for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, but people would have heard of, heard of you in the past couple of weeks, as you are one of our our other comic creators' choices. Uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Uh, what I do now in the world of comics is I'm a comic book writer. I wrote uh, a comic called Infidel, and uh, I did so I did a short story for Doctor Strange, and I've got some other comic book stuff on the horizon that I unfortunately can't talk about yet. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm doing now. In the past, I was a 
uh, editor at Vertigo for about seven years. And then after that, I stuck around in the comic book world and I worked for Jeff Johns uh, to sort of help build uh, the DC TV department and the uh, the DC TV verse, uh, the Arrowverse, yeah. I guess is what it's called now. Uh, and so I worked with him. So I've been in comics now for, God, like over a decade and a half, although it's just been in the past couple of years I've started writing comics which is kind of what I've always wanted to do so it's sad it took me so long to get there <laughs> <laughs> it's so good man um and uh, I mean fantastic work on Infidel by the way thank you like, um any thank everybody you. should go check that out um after the recommendation um a, a couple of weeks ago um I've I, I've started um to to read it I haven't read it all yet I managed to get through the first issue but um, I mean, yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic, mate. So congratulations Thank you. I on appreciate that. It. I really appreciate that. It's you know, it's 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 quite the honor to hear. I mean, the the the, the trade came out about two years ago now, or, or about a year and some change ago now. So just the fact that people are still talking about it really is quite the pleasure and the honor for me. That's great, man. And and just for anybody that hasn't heard of it before, um, how do you best describe Infidel? Oh, God. Uh, let's see. Infidel, uh, I describe it as I, I kind of call it sort of a haunted house story for an, uh, for the new millennium. It's uh, it's about a Pakistani American Muslim uh, woman who her and her uh, neighbors who are all, you know, people of different different ethnicities and colors and who all realize they are living in a building that's haunted by these creatures that feed off xenophobia, that feed off xenophobia, and that's how I, so for all intents and purposes, racist ghosts, and yeah. that's uh, <laughs> and that's how I, and that's how I talk about the book. Yeah, fantastic, and yeah, people can go check that out um, on any uh, comic comic book shop online at the moment. Um, if you can order at a local comic book shop and kind of get your your curb service or pavement service over here, um, then uh, yeah, um, that's that's most welcome. But uh, yeah, apart from that, where can people find you online? Online, I on Twitter, I'm at real underscore pornsack, and at on Instagram, I'm at real underscore psack. Uh, because a funny, uh, funny tidbit that uh, on Instagram you cannot have the syllable porn in your name, and it took me many at tries at all. So right. uh, I, even I just, though it is yeah. your legal. <laughs> yeah yeah it took many tries for me to uh discover that because i would do every variation of my name of course my real name being my name and um and and it would say not available and like how like how many porn sacks are there on instagram that none of these variations yeah. are available and then i slowly realized like oh it's just the ah. swivel porn like i think like porn hub can pull it off but aside from that really? um yeah i i certainly can't that's so funny, isn't it? And they should be kind of exemptions for that sort of thing, shouldn't they? Really? Like I, you should I be able to contact Instagram and then be like, I know. Guys, this is my I, name. So it's funny. I, I got the verification of it because I had a friend who had a friend who worked at Instagram and right. she was able to verify, like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's because of the porn. It's because of the porn syllable. Because, yeah, no, there's no, right. there's no person to dispute with Instagram. Like, you got to take what they give no. you. Oh gosh, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, moving moving on from that, um, I, I do unfortunately have some further bad news. Not not just the fact that you can't get an Instagram username <laughs> uh, correctly, uh, but unfortunately, um, there has been a super intelligent ape uprising. Now we don't know if this is because of the the coronavirus vaccine testing on chimpanzees and things. Might be linked. Who knows? 
But my first question for you is what is your action plan for survival? Well, so here's the thing about that. I am generally useless at apocalypse sort of scenarios. And I've always, <laughs> I've always sort of said that I don't plan for any of this stuff because I would, chances are, will be the first to go any, anyway. So when you kind of hit me with this, the general scenario of like apocalypse scenario, I was like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm done within the same, like with, very quickly. I would have to say those super intelligent apes, I actually feel like is the closest to actual society that I feel like I might actually have skills that could translate because technically, I mean, it depends how intelligent the apes are, but yeah. I mean, if they're just violent, then I'm kind of just dead any- anyway, but super intelligent apes, those that I can reason with them. I can like any of the skills I have, I might be able to, to parlay. So like negotiation and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Like if all the apocalypse scenarios, I feel like a super intelligent ape, I, I, I might have the best sort of go-to, which is basically to talk to them and try to like, you know, and try to bargain and see what I can provide in terms of skills and, or entertainment or whatever the, ca- the case may be. <laughs> because I feel like in any other apocalypse scenario, I have no skills that sort of translate. I don't know if you're a person that goes camping, but like I went camping a while ago and I realized like, oh, I have no skills that translate to camping. Like I don't know how to do anything on a campground. I just sit and watch other people do things and wait for them to tell me things. And 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 that's actually a scenario that 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 could be useful if I'm a t- if we're besieged by super intelligent um by super intelligent uh, apes. So uh, so yeah. So my my strategy is not that different from my norm from my normal life and and barter and plead and try to be entertaining and try to <laughs> and try to appeal to egos and and all that kind of stuff in the hopes of surviving. It's probably the only apocalypse scenario that I feel like I I might stand a chance in. That's excellent strategy. So ingratiating <laughs> yourself into totally. the new super intelligent ape uh, society. Totally, totally. Totally. Well, it's also, I feel like a super intelligent ape society is a society where I might actually have skills to offer. Whereas like zombies, I got no skills to offer in a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) So so, yeah. How's your cardio? Oh God, it's horrible. It's horrible. I I constantly need to work on it. Yeah, no, no, no. Like no, any uh, apocalypse scenario, I'm the first to go. Like there's, I have, I have nothing to, to to that, that, (laughs) that, that, yeah, nothing, nothing bad. Cardio easily winded. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I was very lucky that this was the apocalypse scenario that's, that's befallen. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. So uh, now that you're, you've been taken in to the super intelligent ape society, um, you're now kind of uh, amongst the top storytellers that they have on, on an evening in, in the super intelligent ape throne room that they have. Um, and uh, they want to find out the story of porn sack. And uh, they they want to specifically know about comics and things like that, because that's something that they don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first question that they are, ask you is, what is the first comic you remember enjoying? Oh, God, the first comic I remember is it, the first comic I remember reading, I think, was Spider Amazing Spider-Man number 230, which was the second part of uh, um, uh, Nothing Stopped the Juggernaut. And but I think the first comic I remember enjoying was uh, an issue of Marvel Tales that uh, reprinted Stanley Vincitico's Spider-Man, and I want to say it was the one where he the I think it was like issue eight where uh, it was his second time fighting the the Vulture, and that I think was the first comic I I remember enjoying. The funny thing about comics is 
and it's all it's why questions like this is oh, like what's the first one you men rejoins is, is weird and interesting is that the stuff I remember the most is usually the stuff I didn't like and I mm-hmm. don't quite remember the stuff and, and and then it was looking at stuff in retrospect that I realized the stuff I didn't like I actually liked quite a bit because it made an impression on me so like um I that first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man 230, I didn't like it because Spider-Man had such a problem beating the juggernaut. And and that's right. precisely why it's since kind of become a classic sort of since then. And and even Marvel Tales, I liked Stan Lee's writing, but I didn't like Steve Dipko's art. And then I would kind of go back as more of a teenager and or you know, young adult, and then kind of realize that, oh my God, like I actually love Steve Dipko's art. Everything I loved about Spider-Man came from Ditko. And um, so, so for me, it was a lot of, you know, that stuff. It, it, it's funny. I, I just was re- reading an interview with Bill Sienkiewicz and he was talking about, you know, he started off as sort of like a Neil Adams clone, but the first time he saw Neil Adams artwork, he hated it or he, he didn't like it. And it was, it took him to realize oh, what he didn't like was it so jolted him out of this sense of normalcy and comfort that he had. And he actually he appreciated the art for for doing that and i think that it was a similar thing for me like so much of stuff that i now i look back and realize i liked at the time i didn't like because it jolted me out of this sort of sense of comfort this sense of comfort brilliant and so sorry how how old were you when you when you read amazing spider-man god i don't remember uh i don't know anywhere between five and eight maybe Wow. Yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe oh. eight. I, 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 yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't remember. And but, so, yeah, it was it a kid, kind of, uh, yeah, exactly. But kind of at that age, do you, do you think that you were aware right. that there were creators behind this? No, think, I don't. It, think it just so. magically appears, doesn't it, when you're a kid? <laughs> yeah, I think I can't remember when it was. It might have been later when I was like ten or eleven. Yeah, where uh, where I realized I, I definitely realized when. Amazing that run of Marvel Tales, they changed over from Steve Ditko to John Romita. And right. and I remember like, oh, finally the art is nicer in John Romita, but then something was missing. And it's like it but the stories weren't as good. And then you know, as I grew up, I realized like, oh, the reason why the stories weren't as good is because Steve Ditko was no longer involved with right. with the series. And so while everything looked nicer, it missed all the stuff that I loved about about Spider Man. Yeah, man, no, that's that's interesting. And so, when when did you see yourself as being involved in comics? Um, oof, see myself as being involved. What, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Like, yeah. So like, when do you when did you see it as kind of a a career that you'd like to get into? You know, what the funny thing is, I never saw. It. I always say I I loved comics all my life, and mm. kind of fell ass backwards into it. In that, I never thought it was. A career for me and like it's funny I always want to do it and there are different people who talk about this like I've heard Kevin Smith talk about this and Mark Doyle who's now the executive editor over at DC Black Label talks about this where they they say that they went through all these circuitous routes to get to comics because there was no straightforward way to get into comics and Mm. for me I had always thought like, I always want to get into comics as a writer, but I thought, uh, you know, I didn't know how that happened. So I'd have to like get a career working in movies or, you know, being successful in other places and then sort of come to comics. And so I never really thought about getting into comics. Um, And then comics in a weird way came to me. I was, um, I just hit a point where I've been freelancing on, on, um, I was like temping on the side and freelancing uh, on, on film sets and as a script supervisor and uh and 
I, and I, and I told myself like, I'm going to stop temping. I'm just going to go pure freelance and just force myself to do it in order to kind of just immerse myself in that world. And a couple months into that, I get an email from a friend this, that says like, Hey, I got forwarded this. E-, and this friend doesn't know anything about comics. And it's like, I got forwarded this email from a friend of mine. And she says, Karen Berger Virgo is looking for assistant editor. And I don't know what any of those words mean, but I feel like you do. It feels like something that you'd like. And I did, I was like, Oh, it'd be awesome. But I wasn't really thinking about, I actually, I wasn't, I told myself I wasn't going to get a full-time job. I was going to stay freelancing. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I was such a fan of Karen. I was such a fan of Vertigo. I was like, you know, I'm going to go in just to say I met her. It'd be so cool to say I met mm-hmm. Karen. So I went in for that interview and the interview went well. She brought me back in for um, an editing test and that went well. She brought me back in for a second interview and that went well. And then she offered me the job and the whole time I was like, I don't know if I actually want this job. Like I told myself I was going to stay, stay freelance for a while and do the freelance, like, you know, the freelancer thing. And, um, and finally I decided, but like, listen, I'll do this job for a year because like I used to take like six month temp gigs in random offices. So it'll be like two back to back six month temp gigs and we'll see what becomes of it. And, and comics just treated me really well. And, you know, I went, I spent 12 years at DC every year thinking the next year would be my last because I was just like, yeah, maybe I'm over it. And maybe I want to get back to that. But it, again, it's the whole experience treated me so well. I just stuck with DC and just stuck with comics and comics was just such a wonderful creative place to thrive. And I, one, learned so much, but then two, I, I found out, you know, and it came from a lifetime of reading comics and a lifetime of loving comics. I, you know, I had all these skills to offer. I mean, one of the things I, I've learned about in a creative industry, it started with comics and it came out moving out to LA was that, you know, it, so, so much of creative work is hitting a moving target that the rules change almost as soon as you figure out what they are. And so as a result, everyone is looking for someone who knows what they're doing, except they don't actually know what the job is that they need those people for. So if you have a skill set and if you're good about yourself of just sort of sharp, keeping that skill set sharp, it really is just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And if your skill set is developed enough, they will, you you, you know, you will make yourself indispensable to them. And that's kind of what happened for me. It was, you know, I had loved comics so much. You know, it's funny, like, when I was reading comics, even to this day, uh, although comics I read with a kid, I don't really remember the stories, but I remember all the creative teams. I was so obsessed Mm. with, like, who did what and how they did what and who was good at what and all that kind of stuff. And it had no use. Like, you know, I wasn't thinking about getting into comics. It's just something I love to do. And, and, when uh, Karen sort of gave me that opportunity, I, there was finally a place for all these different skills that I had to kind of, and things I was interested in to kind of come together. And, you know, Vertigo is a great place too of, of, of finding your own, of making your own voice and, and of taking all your peculiarities and, 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 and finding a direction with it. So it, in a weird way, I, I had loved comics for so long. I never really thought about getting into them because I didn't know how. And then in a weird way, comics came to me and I just had, this skill set that I kind of knew, you know, what, how to make the most of the, of the experience when I got there. That's incredible. Um, and so then how, how did the opportunity of, uh, of image come about? Uh, I mean, at the image, it, image was, it was a funny thing. I, uh, um, at that point I had left DC, after 12 years at DC, I'd left and sort of, um, was going, doing my own writing and, uh, and it was, I'd always wanted, 
it's one of those weird things of, I was trying to break into comics and television at the same time because I had relationships in both. And what happened was I really wanted to write a comic. I, and the idea I had for a comic, I ended up pilfering it for a TV pilot. And then, and then I was kind of like, oh my God, I really have this, you know, I, I really want to write a comic. And then also I had this, I had this idea while I was at Vertigo, I, I had this idea I tinkered with on a side, which was for a feature that, um, that, that I really wanted to do. And, and I, I don't know how to like get the money to put a feature film together. Like that's not something, you know, and I think what, uh, I ended up talking to a friend introduced me to a friend who was like a lion producer and he, and he was just kind of like, and he had worked on some movies and he was like, the thing you, first thing you had to do, especially for something like you, you need to put a lookbook together. Like, you know, just like a book of illustrations of like what things look like to give a mood and all that. And he's like, and you'd probably be pretty good at that because you're of your comics background. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's probably like, putting a comic book together and I was like well why don't I just make a comic book then like and then I was kind of like and it was, it was this weird switch that it flipped on because I promised myself I didn't if I was going to write comics it had to be something that was pure comics it had to be something that I couldn't do in any other medium and I think because this had started as a film it felt tainted to, to me um, I had worked at Vertigo with so many directors and screenwriters who had given us like failed screenplays to turn them into comics like I just couldn't mm. abide by this idea of taking a screenplay and turning it into a comic but sort of when I started this whole route it was like it, it, it answered a whole bunch of questions whereas because like at first I was like oh I need a new idea for a comic here's this film that I want to sort of put together but then I had this so like, and I was like well why don't I just make that the comic and then it was and then once I flipped the switch on that I realized like oh well in order for that to work like I'd have to rewrite the entire thing. Like none of the scares would work because comic scares are so different from live action scares. So none mm -hmm. of those scares would work and then serializing would change everything. And then that kind of got me excited. It's like, oh, the fact that I have to rewrite it now makes it a comic. The fact that I have to change everything now makes it uniquely a comic. And I feel okay making it a comic now because of that. And so, you know, and so that's something I, I feel like I've tried to keep on all the sort of things that I do. And all the comics I do is find ways of making them sort of like uniquely comics and and so and, and a lot of that is you know playing with the form is something i i very much love to do that's really incredible um and it's it's great just to have that insight of somebody that's worked in both tv and comics and kind of <clears throat> acknowledging the fact that yeah you do actually have to kind of completely rewrite it if it, oh yeah if it, they're completely going to be a comic compared to tv and understanding yeah. that because I, I believe there's been examples where that hasn't been the case, where somebody from, you know, a film and TV background has tried to write a comic and it hasn't quite worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the thing that I love is that I find anyway, the best writers in both mediums respect the differences between the two mediums. Yeah. And usually if someone kind of comes in and says like, oh, I'll just sort of do this, then they weren't quite that good at you know, they were, or I should say they were just fine doing what they're doing. And I think one of the things that, you know, in movies and television, if you are just fine, you, uh, you can be rewarded quite handsomely. Whereas it's, it's something I always sort of complain about that if in comics, if you are just good, you know, you know, you, you could probably make the same amount of money being middle management sort of somewhere. Whereas in mm. film and TV, if you are just good, you will get paid millions of dollars. <laughs> and, and I, and I, and I, I find it's very frustrating the, um, the, 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 the double standard because of, 
because yeah because you know uh there are people in comics who are just as good as the people working in film and tv at their respective mediums for making way way less which is not to sort of say that if you are i mean i guess if you're great in comics you're not making as much as if you're great in like the other mediums as well but but you know you can make a very good living being great in comics but i do find it quite unfair that just being good um you you can't make the millions of dollars that film and tv people can make just by being good and not great yeah it is a real shame um, but uh, ho- hopefully, um, you know, in the future, uh, more and more people will discover comics and kind of the difference that they are to do- to other mediums and kind of why they are so great. And and hopefully more and more kind of creators will come through. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, and I feel like already we're seeing a change. Like mm. I'm part of a generation of creators where there's a bunch of us out there that are trying to see if we can get away with doing a book a year where Lord knows that wasn't even the case even three years ago or five years ago, you know, like a comic writer in order to be relevant needed to do four books a month. And, and listen, I, we might prove wrong. Like I beat myself up a lot that I'm not more prolific than I am. And and a lot of that is because I'm, I, I, I made, I made early on, I made the boneheaded decision to try to work on television and comics simultaneously. And, and what I found is either it's, you're either very, I've had some very comics heavy years and some very TV heavy years, and I can't even quite be able to manage the balance of, of that. Um, so, you know, I went from a very comics heavy year and then, I, you know, t- 2019 and now going on to 2020, I'm going to be completely absent from the comic book shops, which kills me. And, uh, but hopefully the books, but then, you know, originally 2020 was going to look like a really busy comics year, but with this pandemic, who knows how things are going to go out. So it's very possible that things will get pushed into 2021, which means I'll have too much on the stands in 2021. So, um, so yeah, so it's just, uh, it's trying to, trying to balance that is such a challenge. Isn't it? Now, um, our uh, our super intelligent ape overlords move mm-hmm. on to their next question, and that is, what is the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most? I, the thing that comes to mind the most is it, it, it is Garth Ennis, and for me, it was the I want to say it was Hitman thirteen and fourteen, which is like the zombie penguin two parter, which I I don't even remember any of the jokes. I just remember just guffawing at both both issues i think i read them back to back i just loved i just remember like just heaving in laughter reading reading those two issues although the, i think probably the best joke i've gotten from a garth Ennis comic is in preacher where he talks about the difference between laurel and hardy and like charlie chaplin where he's just like if you're into laurel and hardy chances are you like good characterization and humor and work and and play and if and people are into charlie Cha- charlie chaplin they sheep and uh, yeah and they and they um and, and that was like one of my favorite jokes to read in a comic. <laughs> Fantastic, um, and uh, yeah, uh, Hitman's uh, not not a comic that I've kind of really frequented myself. Um, but uh, yeah, for, for for anybody that doesn't know the character, could you could you explain a little more? Uh, Hitman really was. I think it was born out of Garth Ennis's obsession with Hong Kong John Woo action at the time, and it he was a spinoff character from uh, Garth and uh, John McRae's run on The Demon, and he was a Hitman who pretty much just had X-ray vision, and that was it. That was his whole his whole powers. But it was really hit Garth's way of doing a send up on 
the DC universe at the time. And so, you know, he, his first, I think the first couple issues, he meets Batman and, you know, he pukes on Batman. And then a couple issues later, he meets Green Lantern, the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern, and he like clowns on him. And then in issue 34, he writes Hitman meets Superman. And it, it, I actually often recommend it as one of the best Superman stories uh, is Hitman 34, where uh, where Hitman meets Superman, but it's really about this Hitman and his friends and them trying, uh, you know, just living in the DC universe and sort of all the craziness that happens with it, as well as their sort of very violent, violent lives. And it went for about 60 issues. And I think, and I think Garth has said this as well, like he was writing it simultaneously with Preacher and Preacher got all the love, but, Mm -hmm. um, but he was writing it simultaneously. And there are, and, and, Garth had always said, like, Jesse Custer was probably the character I wished I could be, but Tommy Monaghan, who was the protagonist in Hitman, that was probably more the character I was. And it was just, mm-hmm. and, and it, and it would alternate uh, when, if you were reading both Preacher and Hitman at the time, you, you could feel it alternate that sometimes Preacher was a better comic and sometimes Hitman was a better comic. But, um, but looking back, I recently had a conversation with a friend who also loves the series, and I forgot how many of the jokes and the scenes had, us, had stuck with me um, uh, from that book, like years, like, you know, decades later. Um, I still remember so many, of the, so many of the scenes where someone was just like, oh, I love Hitman number 50. It's like, which one was that? And then he'd start to tell me about it, and I could tell. And as soon as he starts talking, it's like, oh, I remember the ending scene to that. That's the one where Hackett goes, blah, 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 blah. So, um, so yeah, so much of that stuff is sort of stuck with me. But if you haven't read Hitman, do yourself a favor. It's, you know, it's one of the great comic series, in, in, in my opinion. And there's so many just touching, moving moments. And it really is just about like these beyond all sort of the craziness that happens it's about these group of friends and and especially if you liked you know John Woo movies he was like so drawing from uh drawing from that kind of two two gun gangster sort of stuff at the time there's a character named um Ringo Lamb that was very much a uh, who was Tommy Monaghan's rival in terms of being the top assassin. And you could tell that was very much meant to be John uh, Chow Young-Fat. And uh, it was just, it's just a, such a great series. I recommend it to everybody. Fantastic. Well, once I've finished Infidel, that'll be next on the list. <laughs> I appreciate that, sir. <laughs> and uh, no worries. Uh, now, switching emotions, the next question that comes up is, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? It's so funny. Like, I don't know if I remember what the saddest or most upsetting comics that I've, I've read is. I've re- I, I don't know if any comics actually upset me. I've been moved by a lot of comics, like, you know, a lot of finales. A lot of Grant Morrison comics has, has moved me. Hitman number 50 mm-hmm. moved me. Uh, uh, the last issue, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, where, you know, I can still remember the, the, the last, like, the, the, the last page about, you know, Cliff Steele meeting Jane and just saying, come in and out of the rain. And there's this monologue that goes, there is another world, there is a better world, there must be, like, that's such a powerful moment. Um, I don't, but I don't know if, I don't know, and, and, and I'm sure I've read comics that sort of caused me to sort of be sentimental and, and cheer up. I don't know if I, like a sad or upsetting thing, I can't really remember I, I guess my brain just doesn't work that way. I, I don't remember it. And I, I, sad to me turns into moving, I guess. And, and, yeah. but sad and upset don't, for me, when I'm reading, it, it doesn't kind of come in, in that, in that package, I suppose. Yeah. No, that kind of makes, makes sense. And I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and it's, it's difficult to try and twig those heartstrings through. Yeah. Sometimes. 
Well, comics is comics is a funny thing I find where um, I used to say back when I was at DC that people think movies, TV, and um, comics are are so are so similar but if you actually like pop the hood open they run on very different things and so like on the very base level so like a movie again and i was working at warner brothers at the time so it's like what warner brothers wanted their movies to be they're kind of built on spectacle and so in theory you might not be able to get a good movie by it but you could get a movie made that's just a string of spectacle strung together and television runs on emotion and you can get it a, maybe not a good episode of television, but an episode of television that are, that are big emotional moments strung together and comics are conceptual. And so you can get a comic together that are, are just big ideas sort of strung together. But but as a result, comics comics can be cold. Uh, comics can be cold. And in the same way that in a movie or a television show, comics hold concepts so well that, and you see this in Grant's writing or Neil's writing, Neil Gaiman's writing, where they can just rattle off concepts. And because you control time, you can stop and be like, oh, wow, that sentence is an amazing concept. And you think about it for a while. You can't really mm-hmm. do that for, for film and TV because you don't control the time. So as a result, if you're going to introduce a concept in a, in a film or a television show, you've got to build the entire scene about introducing that concept. Similarly, it, alternately in comics, emotion Comics can be a cold medium. And so if you're going to build an emotional moment, you actually have to structure an entire page or structure an entire scene around that emotional moment in order to get the emotion to, tr- to transfer. And it's just about the different things that, that, the, that the comics can do, that, that, um, that comics can do. And, and as a result, like, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I, I don't know who the first person to do it in general was, but I think like someone like Craig Thompson with blankets was so pivotal for comics in general, because Craig was the first person, I think, to have a emotional unit be a page, and he would take an entire page just to communicate an, an emotional idea. And so, and I think when that started happening, independent comics, um, as there was less of a formal divide between independent comics and mainstream comics, more people started taking that idea of, you know, whether it's a splash page for a big emotion, big emotional mo- moment, because I think, you know. For a long time, the splash pages were for big sort of action, action, action mm-hmm. moments, or even big conceptual moments. But the idea of a, you know a big splash page for emotional moment that slowly started to come in, you know that slowly became more and more more and more of a thing. But but you know but in comics we really do have to structure our pages and our scenes around those emotional moments in the same way I think in film and TV they have to structure an entire scene around explaining an idea. In which comics you can mm-hmm. do it so casually and not not worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. That's a really good analysis of kind of the differences. Um, no, yeah, very, very, very in- insightful. Um, now, uh, the the next question that comes up in the in the super intelligent throne room, uh, mm-hmm. super intelligent ape throne room, is uh, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? I mean, I'm sure it's a Junji Ito comic. Uh, it's probably either <laughs> Uzumaki or Gyo. Uh, I I don't it's not think the first there's... time that he's appeared on this on this. Show. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think anyone in comics is as good at, at doing doing scary as as Junji Ito is. Like, yeah, I don't think it, it, it's it's even close. Yeah, it's it's just on another level. Um, yeah. I mean, if you if you were to describe it to somebody that isn't even a comic reader how how would you best describe it i i god i don't know i i mean it, it it's definitely a form of body horror uh but but also i feel like good horror you kind of don't want to give people a warning you just want to say mm-hmm. this is a good horror story read it 
and let them fit because I feel like part of what makes good horror good horror is you don't really know what yeah. the shape of things are like you know you look at something like hereditary or even midsummer what Ari Aster is doing you part of what the tension is is you spend a good amount of time not knowing what kind of horror you're stepping into and that dis-ease that unease is is, is what's pulling you along a lot of the times yeah no that's that's a, another fantastic point about kind of you know specific genre and and the not knowing is is really where the um where the scares happen i guess yeah and you, you're able to bring in the fear <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly fantastic uh now um the next question and probably my favorite question is what is your favorite cover oh uh my favorite cover is uh it's still uh invisibles volume two number 22 which is brian ballin's cover of four hands uh four hands united to blow up a square world so it's like the earth as a as a cube and coming out of it is a detonator one of those old like wily coyote detonators and Mm -hmm. the four mem you see the four hands of the different members of the invisibles they're all they're all um have their hands on top of that detonator about to blow it up and to me i just love that that's such a what it's a strong image but it also says a lot it says a lot about what that book was meant to be um so i love that cover there's another one uh i think it's glenn fabry's cover of seekers seekers of the mystery which was a jam de Matta's book where it's about you know his protagonist like clawing at this light uh looking for enlightenment that i think is, is fantastic as well but i don't think anything is as strong for me as uh, that cover of invisibles number 22 it's certainly striking and it's it's, it's very different I, I hadn't seen a, a cover quite like that yeah yeah it was funny it came from that time of vertigo was you know vertigo had such a reputation of uh, and and Ballin had been working at Vertigo, at, at doing Vertigo S books for a while. But Vertigo covers were so painterly, but sort of kind of oblique. And the thing, the great thing about Ballin is it, it's so clear and so crisp, and uh, and and so so it did such a good job of sort of evoking that kind of imagery and 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 symbolism. Very much so, um, and you can can tell what 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 they're going to be doing <laughs> in the comic. You know, let's let's blow up the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> fantastic uh now uh the next question that comes up is uh what is the most meaningful comic to you uh for me the comic i read probably annually is uh heartland by garth ennis and steve dillon and uh that's about it's so interesting i discovered it completely by accident i think at the time vertigo was doing like these vertigo vision one shots and I wanted to say it was one of them, or maybe it wasn't. I just mistook it for one of them. But it was about a supporting character off of Hellblazer, Kit Ryan, who was John Constantine's sort of love influence and uh, uh, romantic interest. Uh, and it was meant to sort of fill in her backstory. But the story worked so well, I knew nothing about her connection to Constantine. It was just a story about a woman going to see her family in Ireland and how kind of all the tensions that had to do with all the siblings based on what happened with their parents. And then he did this wonderful trick about how he mirrored what was happening in Northern Ireland at the time with, um, with what was happening in this family. And it was, it was such a magical sort of feat, but at the same time, but it was also, I think one of the first comics I'd ever read where it was just a family drama. And I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, this is so cool. It's like one issue, 
of a family drama and like why can't Garth and Steve like just do this and and I remember you know the the in the list of great comics that will never be you know uh, like I've been I remember when I started at Vertigo Karen had asked me what comic what Vertigo comic are you most looking forward to reading and I was like oh City Lights and that was Garth and Steve it was meant to be 24 issues and it was just about them talking about these four friends coming back year after year and sort of seeing each other and Heartland just made me want to read that comic so bad by seeing you know a, a family drama for all intents and purposes but uh but I love Heartland Heartland is is so it's so good and it is you know it's reprinted now as part of the um Hellblazer Gate Rake at the Gates of Hell collection, but I feel like it's missing an entire audience by being there because you don't need to know anything about Hellblazer or John Constantine to enjoy that. And I didn't, like it was years mm -hmm. before I realized that that was actually connected to something else. To me, it was just this wonderful family story out of, that came out of nowhere. I love that comic so much. That's fantastic. I mean, it's just, it's just so good to have that connection to a comic series and kind of to, to have that passion for something and try and champion you, champion you and it's yeah. to uh to others kind of when they're they're not quite aware of it yeah no it's great it's great again it's it's it is too bad that actually i i i love it so much i read it so often there's a good chance i've lost the comic i i don't know where in my collection it is but mm -hmm. um but it, it, it is such a shame that it's part of that constantine collection because again i feel like like the it, there's a whole group of people that i think would love to read that that will miss it because it's at the back of this thing having to do with demons and hell and angels and all that sort of stuff. And the story itself has nothing to do with any, any of that. I mean, and that her character is enriched greatly once you sort of see her backstory, but it's just a great story in and of itself. Brilliant. Uh, now uh, I'm going to ask the next two questions back to back okay. um, because they're, they're rather topical right now. <laughs> and that is yeah. uh, what's the most underrated comic. And for you, what is the best comic of all time? I mean, it is hard. Uh, I mean, it, for me, it's hard for me to say to not consider Heartland one of my one of my favorite or best comics of all time. Uh, Animal Man number twenty six is probably the end of Grant Morrison's run. Is probably also on my list of comics I can read over and over again. Uh, um, but that you kind of have to read the run to really enjoy that. Uh, the most underrated comic, I think, beyond a doubt, is Stray Bullets. Um, David Lapham on a regular basis just just gets away with magic tricks. Uh, there is the the magic banana uh, issue of Stray Bullets, um, Sunshine and mm -hmm. Roses, that uh, I remember as soon as I finished reading it, I was tweeting people, I was talking to people at conventions, asking if people have read it so I could find someone to talk about it with. I love that issue so much. And it was like, it's one of those comments, it's just a pure magic trick. And, um, but he's like one of the best. I, I think, I, I was talking to somebody and, eventually there will come out a story where like all your favorite writers, their favorite comic is Stray Bullets. Like Brian K. Vaughn loves Stray Bullets. Jason Aaron loves Stray Bullets. Like Garth Ennis loves Stray Bullets. Um, it's such a, it's such a good comic. And, and the fact that, you know, partly because it's black and white, partly it's been going for so long. The fact that, you know, it's not like, you, you, you know, like the, the, there's only one trade that collects like the first, a big chunk of it but like the, the last two years hasn't even been collected yet and, and so like the fact that there's just like you can't just get all that readily is such a crime because the, the, the comic is so good 
that's awesome man and yeah that that, that wasn't uh one that i'd i'd heard of before even and uh get, sorry going back to oh, yeah, uh what what the best comic of all time is uh for you i mean yeah i love that comic of heartland so much like that that issue of heartland it, it 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 is a comic I can read over and over and over again. Uh, you know, another one, the you know my my like my desert island read might be sort of like the Invisibles, the uh, the, the entire volume of the Invisibles because it's meant to be read all as one. But uh, but because that's a book that I I've read like four times now, and every time I've read it, I I I get a little something new out of it because so much of that is interpretive. Um, so yeah, so that's an, another one for me that I feel like is. It, it, is one of sort of the best if, if i you know if i had to pick like a desert desert island read that would be that that would be it because it, it's it's a comment that constantly gives you gives me new enjoyment that's fantastic and, and would that be the one that you'd take into the apocalypse above all <laughs> i think so yeah i think so again because i feel like in most other comics you read them too many times you get bored of and you get tired of but because the invisible so it's so layered some of it is oblique some of it is very literal like there's all the stuff that you can kind of gain from it and there's all these different artists who worked on it so you can even look at it from in that perspective um that yeah i think that would be my apocalypse read just because it, there's so much entertainment you could get you could get from it um over and over again brilliant um, and along with uh, your your omnibus edition of the Invisibles, uh, yeah. what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? Oh, again, I oh, you know what? It, you know what? Uh, if it's apes, I would bring mm. a toolkit because mm. I figure that their hands are very big, and so to use any of the stuff that's lying around, their hands probably aren't dexterity enough to grip all of that sort of stuff. So like wrenches and screwdrivers and all that. So in this way that I'm tr trying to sort of like bargain my way into useful into survival, I think the other thing, if I had a toolkit, I could repair things that them, because their hands are so big, they would not be able to sort of use. So I think like computers and, and, and mechanical sort of stuff, any stuff that obviously has a use, but their hands are too big to use, I feel like that is uh, the the um, the 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 utility I could I, I that's a value I could bring during the uh, super ape apocalypse. <laughs> Fantastic, very very uh, helpful person you are. Yeah yeah yeah. I I, yes, I, I only have thoughtful. so many skills. Yeah, I only have so <laughs> many. Like I'm not gonna build anything. I don't know how to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. And uh, Paul Zach Pishachet, uh, thank you so much for sharing your comments with the apocalypse today. It's been an yeah, absolute no problem. pleasure. This was fun. Thank you. This was great. Thanks so much. Brilliant. And uh, one more time for the listeners, where can they find you online? Oh, right. So I'm at real underscore porn sack on Twitter and real underscore PSAC on Instagram. Fantastic. Um, and then um, after this pandemic is sorted out, uh, do you have any events later in the year at all? Oh, geez. I mean, uh, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see when when the Who world knows, is. Right. Yeah, when when we're all get to stay in the same room again. Uh, I haven't thought. <laughs> again, I'm I'm taking it one project at a time, and yeah. just working on my books right now. And we'll sort of see as the world opens up what what happens from there. So at this point, I'm just pointing everyone to where I am virtually, and then slowly as things start to come again, we'll we'll see what uh where there else is to sort of see me. 
Fantastic. Well, again, porn sack, push a shoot, uh, pushette shoot. Sorry, um, it's a, it's it's quite a, a tongue twister. <laughs> sorry about that, porn <laughs> No worries at all. Um, but uh, again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, pleasure is mine. Thank you. Fantastic. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Porn Sack for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Porn Sack's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and lots of other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.